All right, so we are in a series where we're going through the book of Mark, and um, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open that to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, the words will be on the screen. You can track along with us on there. Um, if you need a Bible, there's some on the back table there, as well as there's version. It's an app that you can just download, and it will have whatever scripture you're looking for in there, and you can just look it up real easily. Um, before we dig into that, <clears throat> this word gospel comes up quite often when we talk about these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospels, essentially, what we're reading right now, is a story. It's the, the gospel, the story of the good news of who Jesus is according to Mark. It's how he compiled the story of this good news that we hear about who Jesus is, we hear about the, the life, the teachings, um, all of that is gospel. And it's meant to be him saying, let me show you all the awesome things God's doing. Check it out. That's what this gospel is. That's what all the gospels are. That's what they're trying to convey. They're trying to convey who Jesus is. And um, recently, yesterday, um, I discovered some really good news. We have an amazing pool here in Oceanside. And I debated, so here's my confession. I debated, I even had this conversation with my girls, like, do we tell anybody about this pool? Should we just keep it our little secret? We went with the family that's up here. Um, but I was like, do we, do we tell people about this or do we just keep it to ourselves as like our little secret? Because I went there and I was just nerding out on the facility. I was like, this is amazing. This is like five minutes from my house. It's a giant pool. It's got a deep end. I love free diving and I love swimming. And it's got a 14-foot deep end with a nine-foot, nine-foot high dive. You can just, you know, like I got up there and I'm not, I was like trying to get both my girls to do it, to jump off of it. Malia's like, charge it, goes up there, jumps right off. Kai like went up five different times and then walked back off and climbed off of the thing. And I was like, come on, just do it. And I went up there. I was like, I'll go first and you go right behind me, right? So I climb up there and... I was a little scared. I was like, whoa, this is pretty high up. And um, yeah, so then Eric showed me how to like dive straight in head first, tried that one, like rattled my neck a little bit. And I was like, whoa, that was not as safe as I thought it would be. Um, so it's an amazing facility and it's right there and it only costs us 11 bucks to go as a family. Am I selling the pool or what? Like, okay, so now I feel a little less guilty for trying to hold it to myself, okay? But no, that is good news to me. That's essentially what Mark was trying to do. He's like, I've discovered some really good news, and I want to share this with you. He wasn't like, I found this great thing. I'm keeping it to myself, not telling anybody. I want the world to know. And so it's written down for us to read. 2,000 years later, hundreds and hundreds of years, people have been reading this, studying it, learning about who Jesus is and his life and digging into it. And we get the honor and privilege of breaking it open this morning and digging into it as well. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are like, prove it. Tell me more. Let's dig in. Okay. Um, so this gospel is more focused on the actions of Jesus than any other gospel. The gospel of Mark focuses on Jesus living it out. It has the least amount of quotations than any other gospel. Okay. And the quotations that you see are going to be very important. So when you see, if you have a red letter translation, meaning that Jesus' words are in red letters, if you see that, really hone in. 
It's because Mark is trying to emphasize some things that Jesus is doing and what he was about in really awesome ways. Bible Project refers it to being the action comic book gospel. I thought that was a good way to put it. Action comic book gospel. So if you want to like just get into the action of who Jesus is, this is what we do. We read Mark. So we're reading Mark. Um, so Mark chapter 1, 40 through 45. Super short little passage we're going to read here. Um, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Um, before this, last week, if you want to go back and listen to that one, Jesus takes time to recharge and then immediately moves into doing this ministry. And that's where we pick up uh, right here. He's like, he's moving into some more ministry, into um, healing this guy. And um, what he essentially does after the previous situation where he's like, we need to go and need to preach to all these different places, is he's going from city to city to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim exactly what Jesus was all about. And, um, and so he would have been moving through probably, they say average, maybe 250 different synagogues. So he'd been going to churches in that area, trying to sh- like talk about this beautiful gospel that is in Christ. And so we pick up here. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing you can make me clean. That's something you want to underline. If you are willing, you can make me clean. There's a confidence in there. There's a, like, if, I'm in. 41, Jesus was indignant. We'll talk about that word indignant in a second. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning gets intense. This is where it goes red letter. Here we go. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded, which is in Leviticus 13 and 14, if you want to go back and read that, um, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, here's what the guy does. He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news, right? He discovered the swimming pool in Oceanside that has just been finished and that is beautiful. He's like, I got to go share this with everybody. People need to know about the nine-foot high dive because it's amazing. His first response isn't to follow Jesus' instructions. He goes and just starts talking about how awesome it is. I can't contain it. I must talk about it. It's going out. As a result, this is where it gets bad, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. It was such good news. You couldn't contain it. This guy couldn't contain it. And no matter where Jesus went, it couldn't be contained. He's trying to do it the right way. He's trying to go into the synagogues. He's trying to go into cities, trying to go into places and be respectful of the culture, what's going on, but bring this new message but he can't because now this guy's blown it for him because he's talking about it openly to everybody. <clears throat> so right off the bat, the first thing that happens here, we're just going to cruise back through this and uh, look at a couple of lines and draw some observations, ask a lot of questions. So if you have a piece of paper and you want to write down questions or you want to write them in your phone, um, I'll have a lot of questions for you as always. I like questions. I think questions are good. So um, first thing, Jesus was indignant. The word indignant more um, clearly translated there would have been he had compassion. And some of your translations might say had compassion on him, right? So 
Jesus had compassion on him. And the reason it says indignant is because Jesus would have been frustrated with the fact that this guy's situation is what it is, right? Have you ever had that feeling where you've seen someone suffering and you've seen somebody go through like a really hard time and you're, you're just angry at the fact that they have to suffer? Have you ever been there before where you're like, why is this happening to this person? Like, why does this person have to live this kind of life right now? That's, that's why it says indignant in some of your translations. It's just he's like, this shouldn't be. This isn't the way that I designed things to be. And so I'm having compassion on this person. And so Jesus has compassion on him. The fact that Jesus has compassion on him comes from the fact that Jesus is willing to even be near him, okay? So a person with leprosy in that day would be at distance at all times. And it was even okay that if someone that had leprosy came close, you could just start picking up rocks and like throwing them at them. And just be like, get away, get away, and just throw rocks at them. How crazy is that? So imagine this man with leprosy, what his life looks like and what he feels like when he enters into culture and when he enters into the world that he lives in. Everywhere he goes, people are just like, no, 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 get away. You know, like throwing rocks at him. Don't touch me. Don't come near me. Don't ever come in my, my peripheral, right? Like, I want nothing to do with you. Imagine what that does to your heart. Imagine what that does to your mind, what that starts to do to your outlook on life. Like, try and picture that. And then you have Jesus. What does he do? Enters right into it. Steps right into that situation, right? He reached out what? His hand. There wasn't a rock in the hand. He just reached out his hand to him. So for this guy to see somebody that's willing to reach out their hand, and he already knew because he probably heard things. He's like, if you were willing to heal me, like, please do it because I know you're capable. I've heard stories like the good news has traveled, right? It's amazing. And Jesus reaches out his hand. So what Jesus does is he breaks the rules of what it means to be a priest, what it means to be a rabbi, what it means to be the church, what it means to be a religious institution, all of those things. Because the church at that time was in the middle of the city and would never allow someone like that into the building. Think about that. Someone like that would never enter the building because they weren't allowed to, because people would pick up rocks and say, get away, you're unclean. And they would have to walk around and even yell out, unclean, unclean, like don't stay away because I can't come near you. So imagine again his outlook on life, his view on society, and then society's view on his life and who he is and his lack of value according to them, his lack of worth, all of that. And then there's Jesus that represents this new way, right? And what we could say now is the church that we hope to be a part of that says, I am willing. And just comes up to him and like reaches out his hand. Like enters into his situation. Enters his life like no one had ever done before. It blows away. Like these passages, I just love it. It's such a short passage, but Jesus has compassion. Like, that's the kind of Jesus that we follow. That's who we try to emulate life. And if this is something new where you're like, 
you're new to Scripture, you're new to hearing this sort of thing, and you're skeptical, and you're like, how could he have done that? Did he really heal him? Like, I'm sure there's a million questions. But what I see here is the God that we serve, the Jesus that we love, enters into people's lives in ways that no one else is willing to, that no other religious institution was willing to. And the religious institution that was supposedly representing God, Yahweh, at that time, that was waiting for Messiah, didn't even recognize Messiah in that moment because they had built such a wall that said people can't come in, people can't be part of this, God can't heal, God can't do these things, and it just had limited, limited perspective. So I want to ask you guys a question. This is going to rip our faces off. Mine too. What can we learn from Jesus' approach? You want to get gnarlier? You ready for this? Have you been repulsed by another person? Have you ever been repulsed by another person? Everybody's like trying not to blow their cover, like slow head nod. Yep, (laughs) been there. Maybe this week, I don't know. Um, while I was writing this sermon, that happened to me. I won't give you the story, but I was like, dang it, why do you do this to me, God? Like, why does Scripture challenge and convict me like this? But it's good. I know it's good, ultimately. But have you ever been repulsed by another person? Because of their beliefs, because of how they act, the things they do, the way they treat people, I don't know, whatever it is, they're circumstances, whatever it is, the smell, the, the way they dress. I don't know. There's a, a whole giant list that we can come up with, right, of reasons why we're repulsed by someone else. But what do we see Jesus do? He reaches out his hand. He steps into that person's life, right? He brings healing. Jesus models for us this unconditional love, this, like, that we don't see often, that I know that in my life is like the dark parts of my heart that I see that I need to allow Jesus to wash clean and and renew my thoughts, renew my approach to people because this attitude of humility that we see in Jesus is, it's unreal. It's unlike anything I experience. And it's why I originally fell in love with Jesus in high school was because I, I began to see that the way that Jesus treated people and the way that Jesus set things up to be, the way that he designed relationships to be, is just, it's right. It's good. It brings healing. It brings reconciliation. It brings this new way of life that this guy now has been completely transformed because now he can go back into the city. He can go back into the places he wasn't allowed to be in because of the humility of Jesus. And this kind of humility, Jesus talks about it a lot. And so I want to just kind of unpack that a little bit because I think that's one of the things that really gets at the heart of why we, I'll say I, because I'll throw myself under the bus because I don't want to throw you under, why I don't end up living the kind of discipleship life that Jesus invites us into um, is because there's such a contrast between humility and the way that our culture shapes us. Okay, so check out this really short story that we see in Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. It's this parable of the Pharisee and a tax collector. So Pharisee would have been somebody who would have been the religious elite at that time. Um, The people that wouldn't have allowed this leper, leper into the building, right? 
And then this tax collector who would have been considered like the least of these, the, the traitor, the, the person who turned their back on their society and their culture and is completely wrapped up in himself uh, would have been considered like the sinner of sinners in that culture. So check out what happens. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he noticed that we have this issue as a culture that we like look down on other people. And he's like, here's the story I'm going to tell you. So here's the story I'm listening to right now. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I have. So he's like giving his money away and he's like doing all the religious things he should be doing. But the tax collector stood at a distance, which is a key line, out of respect. Would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This humility that we see, this contrasting story of someone who says, I do everything religiously, I do things correct, I'm like, I got things figured out, like, I do things the way that God wants me to do it, and I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else that's just messed up and horrible, right? And what Jesus says is the second guy who responds with, basically, I'm not worthy, right? We're not worthy, that's all I can think of every time I like, read this story. We're not worthy. But what Jesus says is like the humility of that tax collector that recognizes his fault, that recognizes his brokenness, is the one that pleased God when he walked away. So what pleases God, what pleases the heart of God is this humility. And that's what we see Jesus model. And it's what we see continually as we read through the Gospels is like this posture of humility. A prideful posture keeps us from being open and teachable. A prideful posture keeps us from being open and teachable. There is a very common um, kind of a, a, I think like a cultural concept going around right now. It's called like a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So I typed out all the lists that I could kind of find and see what so I can show you kind of the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And I think there's a difference, and I know this is like a cultural thing that's going on right now, but it's also the kind of mindset that we see Jesus have and the kind of mindset that we see in his disciples as they begin to take on humility. A growth mindset, well, let's start with the fixed mindset. Avoid challenges, give up easily, desire to look smart. There's pride in that, right? That I'm going to look better than everybody else. I don't want anybody to like look down on me. Effort is fruitless. Um, ignore feedback because I got it figured out. I'm better than everyone else. I know how to do things, so I'm going to be confident in that and that our abilities are fixed. So that would be a fixed mindset. A growth mindset says you're going to experience more freedom as a result of this because you're persevering in the face of failure. And I would say if you look at that from like a Christ perspective, I think I limit what Christ can do sometimes. And in the midst of failure, I go, well, I guess that's just not what God wanted. 
instead of going like, no, God, I'm going to continue to pursue these things that you want, that you want to see take place in this world. Effort is required to build new skills, and that's saying, like, I want to continue to grow to be the kind of person that Christ wants me to be. Um, Embracing challenges and accept feedback, desire to learn, all of that is a posture of humility. And our cultures recognize that. That's why you have these two ideas of, like, a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And I could say, I could argue that that's scriptural, right? Because that's a mindset, that's an approach to life that says, we worship a God that's powerful. He's a way maker, the song we were singing, right? Like, he can do things that are beyond our comprehension. He can do things that, as we read this passage, we go like, how did that even happen, right? But we see the posture of even the man with leprosy. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And I think we can learn from even the leper's perspective because he had a confidence, a growth mindset that says, I believe you can do this. I've never seen anybody else that can do this, but you... I think you, I know you can do this. And I think that in that is also an opportunity to learn that sometimes we get limited in our perspective of what God can do, of how he can change our situation, how he can bring healing, how he can do certain things that sometimes we think are impossible. So the humility that we see modeled by Jesus and what we see him teaching continually is just this, this beautiful way of living this out. Humility allows us to live and serve out of God's strength and not our own strength. Um, So I think what we need to recognize, too, is there can be a pitfall to take on this kind of humility in a prideful way that says, I'm just confident God's going to do everything I need. And, And then he becomes kind of the tool that we use to manipulate life and get the things that we want, rather than just saying, what does God want to do? I'm confident that he can do beautiful things. I'm just going to be there and I'm going to be open to what he might do. Um, He goes on, verse 44, and Jesus says, show yourself to the priest, right? And in that day, there would have been a process that if a miracle took place, if there was healing that took place, they would have to go to the temple and there would be um, this ritual of basically demonstrating the, um, the authority of that person to heal. And what Jesus was trying to do was trying to tell him, let's, let's demonstrate to the church, the institution at that time, what I'm capable of. And so what Jesus was trying to do is say, go and bring the offering. And it would have been a Thanksgiving offering. That would have been a voluntary offering that you would bring of like bread or oil that you'd bring to the temple, you'd demonstrate that you're healed, and you'd bring this thanksgiving offering, which I think is also a sense of humility right there of like, thank you, God. I'm grateful for what you've done. Um, And it's interesting that the guy doesn't go do it, right? That he's just so excited about what happened that he had to go talk about it, which I don't know. There's a little debate in there, right? Um, What should he have really done? Both are good. Both are great things. But in that day, it would have demonstrated the authority of Jesus, and as a result, Jesus was having to go and preach outside the town in, what did it say, lonely places, which again, I think represents the humility of Jesus, that he's not prideful, that he's not like, wait, wait, hold on, you didn't, you're going to tell another, you need to go back into the temple and do things the way we're supposed to do it. He's like, okay, whatever, like, we're just going to keep moving forward. But you see this, this model of Jesus trying to 
I think, fall into the system and say, like, I'm not here to abolish everything like he said. I'm not here to, like, wipe away everything. What I'm here to do is show that there is a way to live out this faith in a way that is good, that is life-giving. Because the representation of church in that time was very ritualistic, was very, like, one way or the highway kind of thing. And what Jesus came to demonstrate was that this faith and this relationship with God was meant to be life-giving. It was meant to transform life. It was meant to bring healing. And he's like, well, if they're not going to accept that, and if this guy's too excited to go share about it, who cares? Let's keep moving. And, um, and so what we see here is like there's two things. There's a validation of his authority that could happen there, um, of Jesus wanting to heal. And the second part of that is um, what Jesus does is he invites him to go back into the community right? So going back to the very beginning of the story, he was an outcast. He would have been the guy that everybody would throw stones at when they came near. But what happens now? When he goes into the community, what Jesus was trying to do is if he went into the temple, actually followed through that process, he would then be reinstated in community. He'd be connected with the people that he once was now, was alienated from. So what Jesus, what I think, what Jesus was trying to do there is say, go back and be part of this community. Be part of what you can what you were no longer allowed to be a part of, and now you can enter back into it. Because once you showed that healing process to the temple, then it was like, okay, you're back in. You're good. You're healed. Everything's fine. And now you're acceptable, right, uh, in their eyes, in the religious leader's eyes. And um, it doesn't pan out that way, but you see that Jesus had a motive there to say, go and be part of the community. Go connect once again. But the good news just goes too fast, and it just it goes crazy just couldn't contain it. It's kind of like swimming pools. I get excited about them. Um, So then in verse 40, he says, if you were willing, um, and I just want to hit on that again, just this idea that Jesus makes himself available and accessible. Um, He was driven by this compassion. Um, Later on, we see that, again, he's having to go and do this ministry now in lonely places. Um, But Jesus is doing this ministry now outside of town, and he's doing this ministry wherever it takes him, which is interesting because what you see now has left the building. The church is no longer contained to the building. And I think there's something to be learned in there that maybe the reason Mark threw that in there was that the gospel wasn't contained by a certain set of rules, a certain building, a parameter. It was meant to go everywhere. And what I think we lose sometimes is that church is Sunday morning. It's this little like one hour from 1030 to 1130. That's when like really the God stuff takes place. But I want to continually like push us back to this idea that like Jesus sends us to lonely places during the week. He sends us to the outskirts of town. He sends us to families, to relationships, to work, to all these different places that we're called to be in, where people can't contain the good news, where people are they're flocking to him, right? At the end, it says, like, even though he's out there in lonely places, people were still drawn to it because the good news of the swimming pool is just so amazing. You have to hear about it. You have to get involved. You have to, like, hear about this. You can't stop sharing about it, right? Even though I want to keep it a secret, okay? It has to go out. And that's, I think, the, the, the call and the, um, the mission that we have is to recognize this and, and don't be fake about this. I'm not saying go like talk about some good news that you haven't experienced. But if you've experienced this, then I would say let's go out into these places 
and share this good news. Let's share about this beautiful thing that we have in Jesus and how he begins to transform life. So I just want to like point that out that Jesus and the gospel and everything else has left the building. It's not contained to a temple. And it basically comes out of a willingness to see God move, right? The very first question is, are you willing? And so that's what I want to ask us today as we close is, do we believe that Jesus is really willing to do things that he wants to do? Um, and this question, I'm, maybe I should have phrased it differently. I don't know if you can come up with a better way to phrase it, then write it down and share it with me. But um, do we think Jesus isn't willing to step into any situation? Is there a better way to write it? Maybe I'll have Matt rewrite it for me because um, he's good at that. Uh, do we believe that he isn't willing to step into any situation? right? The man with leprosy said, if you are willing, because he knew that he could do it. So do we have limiters on that say, Jesus is capable of only this much in my life? Or do we have a faith that says, Jesus is capable of doing whatever he wants to do, and I give him full reign, if he's willing, if God's willing. That's like an, a, a humble approach is to say, if God, you're willing to do something, then yes, I'm in and let's do this. If you are willing. Are we willing to journey with people? So I think there's two elements of that. Are we willing to see God move in our lives as well as are we willing to have a faith that says, I believe that God can change someone else in, in my world, in my family, in my relationships, the people that I run into that we think are sometimes impossible because that seems like a really impossible situation. But I do believe that Jesus wants to move in that. And I think how this begins to happen um, is not just like a zap in our mind that begins to transform us. And this is the quote that I want to close with. Um, another Dallas Willard quote because he's a stud, but um, he's just amazing. Like when it comes to like thinking through what it means to live out as disciples, this, this crazy stuff that we see the disciples living into and what we see Jesus doing. Um, I believe that we have to have a shift in our mindset that begins to change the fact that we have a limiter on Jesus. Um, and discipleship is that process. And so just saying Jesus is awesome, he can do amazing things, isn't enough. I think we need to be discipled into this process because I'm, I've been discipled by a culture that tells me God's only limited to this much. I've been decided by a culture that says I can only do so much. Um, I'm only capable of doing certain things, that God's only capable of doing certain things. Um, but discipleship is us continuing to learn really more and more of what it means to trust in Jesus and live that out. So disciples of Jesus are those who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of the heavens to every aspect of their life on earth. And so this is like weaving the fact that if you are willing, God, you could change any part of my life, any part of my situation, any part of my job, any part of my family. And that takes a discipleship. That takes a growth to continually step into it and go, is God capable of doing it? Yes? Okay. Then yeah, let's move forward and let's see what God does. If he doesn't do it that way, I'm going to humbly accept that and go, okay, maybe it's something different. Maybe he's teaching me something here. But again, it's that, that discipleship mindset of continually learning 
the capabilities of who God is. So let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for the fact that you are capable of healing, of doing miraculous things in our lives. We thank you for scripture and these beautiful stories of ways that you interacted with people and you broke the social norms of what it looks like to be the church, of what it looks like to be the kingdom of God, to be in the kingdom of God, to represent you in ways that is life-giving, that brings flourishing to people's lives. And so help us as we go into the rest of this day, as we go into the rest of this week and the relationships and every opportunity that we step into, um, to know that you are willing because your response was you are willing Help us to ingrain that into our hearts and our minds that you are willing, you are willing to do amazing things in our lives. And I know there's somebody in here right in here that needs to hear that, needs to be reminded of that. I needed to be reminded of that this week, that you are willing, you are willing to do beautiful things. And we own that today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, God is definitely willing. And if you have questions or if there's things that you're wrestling with, uh, we'd love to continue to journey with you in that. And so again, that connect card is a way to continue to like have that conversation or come talk to me or whatever afterwards or one of us as leaders. Um, We don't want this to be the end of this conversation because 30 minutes to talk about the willingness of God is pretty limited, right? Um, God's going to continue to do amazing things, but um, we want to journey with you in that process, and that's what we're doing as a community. So um, we read this blessing as we leave just because it's a reminder, again, of the willingness of God. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Grace and peace as you live into this.